Perfect. Welcome back to another episode of UAP Studies. My name is Jason Gilman, and I'm joined by Louis Borges again, or as he's been recently dubbed, Gorgeous Borges. So how are you doing today, Louis? I'm doing very good, brother. Thanks again for having me on the show. Uh, I'm super excited about our guest. Um, he's very well versed in the uh, field, a lot of years of experience. Again, he's another uh, another guest that meets our caliber of what we think are the real deal in the world of ufology. And uh, yeah, I'll throw it back to you. Let's uh, let's intro and maybe talk a little bit to the, about the history of our today's guest. Perfect. So today we have Malcolm Robinson, who is joining us from Scotland, and uh, he's the assistant editor of the Outer Limits magazine. He's been a founder of the Strange Phenomenon Investigation, which started back in 1979. Malcolm is also a well-known Scottish author of books on the paranormal and UFO topics. He's an established speaker, presenter, scriptwriter, and authored many books on UFOs and the paranormal, such as UFO Case Files in Scotland, Volume 1 and 2. The Monster of Loch Ness, The Paranormal Case Files of Great Britain, Volume 1, 2, and 3, and the Detchmont Wood UFO Incident as well, which is one that we haven't covered much on the podcast, but is a crucial incident that took place. Uh, so I'd like to welcome you to the podcast, Malcolm. How are you doing, sir? Yes, it's a pleasure to be on your podcast. Uh, I'm very well, sir. Very well indeed. Nice to be on. Great. So one of the things that we always ask our guests is basically we, we all have origin stories, something that triggered the UFO interest in somebody. Uh, what age were you at when the UFO subject took hold of you? Well, probably, well, I was very, very young. I'd probably be about maybe eight or nine years of age, you know, and from throughout growing up in my childhood, I've had a number of very, very strange and paranormal experiences. And, you know, as I grew older, I decided that I wanted to learn more about these fascinating subjects. But um, I was very, very sceptical. I honestly felt that there were no validity to claims pertaining to ghosts, poltergeist, UFOs. And way back in 1979, I started out on a one-man crusade to prove what a, what a load of nonsense it was. However, there's no smoke without fire. And whilst, yes, there are a lot of nonsense out there, not at all. There is enough substantial, wonderful cases of UFO sightings, of close proximity sightings, ghost poltergeist, that I knew that, hey, we are on to something here. And uh, like I said, in 1979, we formed SPI to look at all claims pertaining to all the wonderful, bizarre world of the UFOs and the unexplained. It's been a, it's been a wonderful journey, a terrific journey. Beautiful. And as far as uh, activity in Great Britain, you guys are, you have as much activity as Canada and the United States, but we don't seem to hear about it uh, too much unless it's a massive case. Uh, how often are sightings uh, occurring in the Great Britain? Well, in Great Britain as a whole, we still have a wealth of UFO reports and more so in Scotland as well. There's a small town called Bonnybridge in Stirlingshire in central Scotland, which has seen a rise of UFO reports from 1992 till present day. Uh, I've investigated this with a local provost, uh, Councillor Billy Buchanan, who was previously a councillor, he's now a provost. And uh, we've done a lot of work in the Bonnie Bridge area. There's sightings throughout Scotland which demand the explanation. We're talking about low-level, close proximity sightings, sightings that you could almost throw a stone at. We have the large black triangular-shaped craft slowly moving across the Scottish skies as well. 
And these are perplexing because as a researcher, my job is to find out if there's a natural explanation to account for any given sighting. We do that through checking by the, with the police. Do the police have anybody phoning in with members of the public seeing the same thing? We check with the local airports, the national airports, local flying clubs, the Ministry of Defence, which tend to dot the I's and cross the T's to try and reach a, a normal conclusion. And the vast, the vast majority of UFO reports, as high as 95%, have a natural explanation. 5% remain. 3% of the five could be our own black budget technology. As we know, the stealth aircraft was flying in American skies for a good number of years before the American Air Force put their hands up and said, it's ours. That gave rise to many false UFO reports. So we have to be very, very careful that what we're seeing in the skies is not our own black budget technology. Now, the 2% that remains from that five 1% could be a rare new atmospheric phenomena, something akin to ball lightning or something. The 1%, the fly in the ointment for me, personally, and my colleagues, is we are dealing, absolutely dealing, with some form of non-human intelligence that's always been with us. It's been here since the you know mankind was on the, the, the planet. We see it in the cave paintings, etc., we see it in Renaissance paintings, you know, and the artwork, etc. Big, big question, though, is if they have been here for so long, why? But um, in Scotland, we have some wonderful cases that I'd love to tell your good self and your, your listeners. Absolutely, yeah. You feel free. This is, the, this is your time for sure to talk about this stuff. Okay, what I would like to uh, say first and foremost, you mentioned earlier about, you know, basically what was the first case that got me off the skeptical fence or what got me interested in it, it would be 1979. Now, the story may well be known to some of your viewers and listeners, but I'll tell it again. 1979, I was only about 19 years of age, so that's gone back a bit. And uh, what happened was it was a local forester, uh, a chap called uh, Robert Taylor. He was employed by the Livingston Development Corporation in the forestry department, and his job was to ensure that no cattle or sheep strayed into the woods. Very, very mundane job. He had no interest, no interest at all in UFOs, flying saucers. You know, he was an educated man. He, uh, he fought in the Second World War. He helped um, liberate Belsenbergen, the, the, the concentration camp, where he was a young man. So now he's older, mundane job, walking through the woods with his Irish red setter dog, Lara, walking down this forestry path, came upon a clearing. Oh my God, what, the, what is that? He saw, he described this large dome-shaped object with a flange going around its perimeter with cross-like projections sticking up from the flange and it disappeared and reappeared, solidified and desolidified. And he, he's never seen anything like this in his life. And his dog is bark, bark, barking furiously. Then as if suddenly, as if this scene couldn't get any more stranger, it did. For what resembled, resembled two Second World War sea mines. Do you know these bobbin mines that floated in the North Atlantic with the spikes sticking out a bit? Right. Resembled that. Two of them dropped down. 
from this craft that was hovering about 40 feet above this grass, dropped down and impacted on the grass, started rolling across the grass towards him. He's like this, what is going on here? Then he stopped, then he projected his rod-like projections towards his person and pulled him, pulled him very, very forcibly towards this larger object. At that point, he remembers a, a horrible burning smell pervading the whole area and then a swishing sound and then he lost consciousness. When he regained consciousness, the larger object was gone, the smaller objects were gone, and there were over 40 holes and impressions in the grass in, the grass in front of him. He had a nasty graze under his chin, he had a graze on his head, he had a pounding headache, and he managed to stagger back to his pickup truck, which was uh, near the, at the woods, and he tried to radio base for help, but he couldn't speak, he had lost his voice. So he managed somehow to reverse the truck into a ditch. He couldn't move the truck. He managed to get back home to his wife. And his wife, when she's, what's happened to you? Because her husband, you know, his jersey was all muddy. He said, I've been attacked. Attacked? Attacked by who? By men? No, by a spaceship thing. And she says, look, come in. There's no such thing. But then she went, well, I know my husband. My husband would never make up a tall tale like this. So she phoned the local doctor. The local doctor came down to the house, checked his heart, his lungs, etc. He was very excited. And then he was, then Malcolm Drummond, his forestry boss, came down and both men went up to the woods. There you go. There's all the marks in the grass. Now, this is where the police. The Scottish police became involved because it was deemed as an assault by person or persons unknown, a physical assault. The police looked at the grass. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> They're no denying that. Fenced off the area. I became involved. I saw the marks on the grass myself. We interviewed Bob several times. I interviewed the police, etc. And... <sighs> Today, it stands the test of time as one of the most bizarre cases in Scotland. Now, one thing I should say to yourself is the trousers that Robert Taylor wore were ripped. Ripped. These were tested, forensically tested by the science lab at Edinburgh. And the chief scientist said, Malcolm, these trousers were pulled in an upwards manner. They were not made by any forest debris. They were not made by sharp stones or sharp twigs. These were clearly made in a pulling upwards manner. Now, these were heavy duty material, heavy material, you know, very, very thick yeah. trousers. 1993, we placed a, a stone cairn in there with a bra brass plaque to commemorate that event. And a few years ago, I managed to get signage placed because people were coming from all over the world to... We couldn't find it. It's such a big, we just can't find it. So I managed to get signage placed by the local council, UFO this way, and we had big signage at the plaque, uh, sorry, at the, the area as well. It's a wonderful case. And his dog never, ever went back to that area again, never ventured near that. That's just one of many, one of many cases in Scotland that, uh, you know, it proves that we're dealing with something real, something tangible. Now, like anything else, people, skeptics, we love them. We wouldn't be here without them. 
Skeptics had ideas what it could be. One skeptic said, could have not been a tropa belladonna. Now that's a poisonous berry, which ingested with any deep quantity can cause hallucinations or even death. There is no evidence, no evidence of that plant that being in Deckman Woods at all, none at all. And um, as I say, I had to write a standalone book about that case, the Deckman Woods incident, because it just deserved people's attention. And it, as I say, wonderful case, wonderful case. That's amazing. Malcolm, I wanted to ask you about uh, the recent movie that you uh, starred in, The Pentagon UFO Files. And uh, to start, I found it fascinating that it took a UK media company to give us a film entitled The Pentagon UFO Files. Um, but in this movie, and for those who haven't seen it yet, I do recommend it. Um, and we don't promote many things often, but if we've personally seen it and, uh, you know, like it, we will give it our seal of approval, so to speak. Not that it's worth anything, but I really enjoyed it. Um, it does go over the, uh, you know, December 2017 New York Times article about the ATIP videos. Um, we've had a lot of people on our show, you know, Sean Cahill, um, Kevin Day, firsthand experiencers that were on the USS Princeton Right at the time that this Nimitz thing was happening, uh, we've had forensic scientists that have given us, you know, specific data, telemetry, uh, you know, guys that were watching these things on uh, radar. Um, but the thing I, I enjoyed was that you kind of gave the full chronology and filled in some gaps that we didn't even get ourselves on the North American end of this. Uh, you know, we're a lot closer to where this story launched. Um, but, you know, you mentioned uh, Senator Harry Reid was made aware um, either through a leak or, or otherwise, but uh, was made aware that there were some sightings happening with the, the Navy pilots. Um, and I think because of that, the government started taking it more seriously because now we got military people breaking silence. It's easy to discredit some nut out in the field in a farmland and say he doesn't know what he saw. But when it's your own military people um, and then, you know, there's the whole idea of the threat narrative. So uh, I'll, I'll ask you, you know, what went into making that movie? What made you guys want to do it? And uh, what about this whole story do you find interesting? Well, yeah, I mean, obviously I was invited to go to London. I was staying in Scotland at the time, invited to go to London to be part of a team of a few British ufologists, uh, one of whom was, of course, Philip Mantle, a very dear and good friend of mine. And we were invited to go to London to provide our thoughts about what we thought was happening here with these wonderful sightings, the Tic Tac, Gimbal, Go Fast, these objects that was uh, seen by American Air Force pilots. And it was just a case of really just sitting down and giving, giving our own views, our own thoughts about what we felt here in the UK, because, you know, it's a massive uh, an American case. It's, it's, it's simply incredible when we think about the fact that um, they, they had this report, this big report that came out. There was a lot more pages of the report that we haven't as yet seen, and I'd love to see those final pages. And since then, we've obviously had uh, more sightings come out from various people as well. So it was a, a provided that opportunity for myself, Philip Mantle, and uh, Phil Kinsella, Jason Gleaves, Paul Askoff, just to think, just to tell people what we believe was going on. And as you probably, for those who haven't obviously saw this footage, and I dare say that there can't be that many, we're only deal we're dealing here with either two things: a it's our own technology. And this was, our own technology was masquerading 
to see what this exercise, you know, all these ships that was taking part in this exercise. But and this so this could have been American, it could have been Canadian, to see how they would react. And um, which is fanciful, which is airy fairy. That's possibility number one. I mean, it could have been the Russians, it could have been a Russian experiment, Chinese, except we have to think about this. No matter how preposterous this sounds, we have to look out the box to see, well, who else, if it's not American, who else could be doing this? So the other option is that it clearly is off-world because the G-force involved, the speeds involved, is absolutely terrific. And if we have that technology, why aren't we using that technology in, in some theatres of war or, or whatever, or just normal transport, just to get people from A to B much more quicker? So I tend to think, and I could be wrong, I tend to think it's not our own. I don't think it's our own technology at all. I think it is off-world. I think it is something else. And again, it doesn't provide us a, an explanation. It doesn't give us an answer. It doesn't, you know, what, what's going on here? And um, I ju we just don't know. We just really don't know. But I'm glad that that documentary was made because it was well put together. People like myself who work with the media, we're always hopeful that they, they will showcase ourselves and the subject in a nice, correct light. A lot of times they don't, you know, it's all it's all just wishy-washy and it's just not presented very well. But I was very, very pleased by my partic participation in the, the Pentagon UFO files. And um, it was just a great opportunity just to say to the British public and the American public, Canadian public and everybody in Europe, have a look at this. Yeah. This is incredible. With it's ufology, I always find it funny because it's <clears throat> possibility versus probability. You know, is it possible that it's the Russian and Chinese? Yes, it's possible. Is it Absolutely. possibly that it's like, no, I don't think that that it is them. The way that the characteristics, the way that they fly, the lack of interactions between the American and, you know, Russia is having the same issues that the Americans are with these things. So is China. China has started their own UAP task force, for crying out loud. So it shows that it's, 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 a, it's a global issue. And they're thinking, is it the Americans? Is it the Russians? Like, they're thinking the same thing that we're thinking on this side, right? We know it's not Canada, because Canada has absolutely no budget for military whatsoever or experimental <laughs> yes. stuff. And if it was Canada, there'd be a big Canadian flag on the Tic Tac or something like that, right? We'd <laughs> and, be so and nobody's <laughs> Nobody's playing with experimental footage. And we've had plenty of military people on this show, you know, that said, listen... We would never, that's how friendly fire happens. And that's how people die. Yeah. And that's the best way to blow your cover on a black budget project, which is the, that's the end all be all is don't let this get out. So they're not playing with this technology over highly populated cities. And while other people don't know the training's happening, the military bar down does not do that ever anywhere. Um, you know, and it's an uh, it's an offense to your own troops that like we yeah. don't trust you enough to know that we're running covert operations. Covert operations all the time happen when you're told, hey, don't go in there. Don't ask about this. You're just like, OK, yeah, it could be something very mundane and not life changing. But they're just used to if you're told you don't ask or you don't need to know this. That's just par for the course. 
even on, you know, other things that are like shift change times or standard operations on the boat. They do have some compartmentalization. So, you know, that's not the big thing. The big thing for me is the characteristics, the speeds, yeah. the apparent G-forces. Uh, we interviewed some of the cast from A Tear in the Sky, which is a new movie that just came out. One of them being Dave Mason. And he's a brilliant engineer and scientist, inventor. And they essentially caught raining Tic Tacs similar to what happened in the uh, in the USS Nimitz video and like he's very good with uh, photography he knows how to do the the trigonometry with the angles and you know the field of view and how far away it is and basically he said that what they caught was a raining tic tac went from suborbital into the water speeds were ranging from 8000 miles an hour to 84000 miles an hour uh, and I mean, when you look at these things on FLIR, and I mean, the Tic Tac footage is an infrared shot. You can see right on the gunner footage, it says IR in the top. So again, this doesn't appear to the normal naked eye in that spectrum. But when you see what it's doing, how cold it is, there's no propulsion, there's no heat, not even the friction is registering as something causing heat. So it's so beyond our potential just as beings to be in a machine would we be able to do that and the g-force alone would kill you uh, not to mention you know the erratic changes in direction and everything else so for me the the strangest thing and the hardest thing to explain is how does it do what it does even if it is russia jason you mentioned you know if russia's having a hard time with ukraine if they had ufo technology it would be lights out yeah so oh, yeah. It, yeah. I, I think yeah. it's very improbable that this is human made just because of the fact that even if we could make something that would go that fast, you still need somebody to operate it. And I don't think we've developed that bubble technology where physics don't apply. I don't think that exists on our planet. Yeah, totally agree with you. You know, when you look at that footage and you look at the dynamics and stuff, it doesn't seem as if we could do anything at that at this stage in our technology. I mean, look at how technology has advanced over the last 50 years from the, the big mobile phone and stuff, you know, to the slim phones you've got. Now, technology is ever progressing, not just in telecommunications, but in, uh, you know, military te technology as well. And like you said, you know, if, uh, if uh, the Ukraine had that, uh, then it would be like so for Russia um, because you would employ that, you know. I mean, war is terrible in any conflict, anywhere on planet Earth, of course it is. But, um, and it's sad that sometimes you have to use, um, you know, weapons of destruction to do that. You know, the H-bomb, the, the atom bomb, you know, that, that, that ended uh, uh, Japan, you know, the war in Japan. They knew they couldn't compete with that. So we're living in terrible times. Um, the problem is, that, and I keep saying it, it's, it's not just this technology, it's not just this incredible UFOs that we've seen flitting about the skies, it's the abduction phenomena. What bothers me is the fact that they're, they're taking people from their homes, from their cars, and you know, doing these horrible experiments on them. Now, they've been doing it for over 40, 50, 60 years. If it's a genetic thing, if, it, if they're trying to get some genetics out of us, well, surely they could do that in a, a hospital, going to, you know, stealthily going to a hospital, get sperm and over. But then again, maybe they need the, the, the human being. Or is it, as some people have said, maybe these small greys are looking for our soul, what makes our soul tick, etc. Right now, I'm dealing with a lady in, uh, in Edinburgh 
and uh, she's been abducted since she was 10 years of age. She's got marks all over her body. It's the early stage of this investigation, but she is terrified. Yeah. She is wanting answers. And whilst guys like me and guys like your good selves, we can do all the research we want, but we haven't got the answers, not yet, you know? And that's the problem. It's so frustrating to know that we're dealing with a real phenomena here, but we can't get a handle on it. We can't stop them. We can have uh, all these small cameras hidden in the bedroom to see if we can capture something, but it doesn't always work as we know. Yeah, I have uh, somebody that I know that is within the U.S. military, and he told me uh, just flat out when I said, you know, is there really a threat narrative to this whole UFO thing? Because they seem to be quite docile with our military, meaning, you know, almost like a, a laser pointer and, and uh, a cat, you know, just uh, try to catch me type scenario. <laughs> yeah, so, and I find that funny, but he said, you know, I said, is there such a thing as a threat narrative? Because they haven't shown any hostility towards us. He goes, well, let me tell you something. He says, is it illegal for me to break into your house in the middle of the night, take you, do medical experiments, and then drop you back off feeling sick, ill, uh, without your right and without uh, consent? I said, well, yeah, that would be illegal. It goes, okay. So then it goes against our laws as humans. It goes against, uh, you know, it's an offense against us. And it's true. There's nothing we can do about it. The government's not going to come out and say, hey, actually, the abduction phenomenon is real. We can't do anything about it. Even if we found out that they were on a radar by the time, was it NORAD, uh, that takes care of the stuff yeah. over our airspace, yeah, 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 yeah. they would never make yeah. it in time. So it, it is something that I think is not being mentioned with the UAP stuff that's going on in Washington. They're not talking about the abduction phenomenon. And if it's, you know, that it seems like they're almost waiting to bring that forward to people, you know? Yeah, it's certainly, it's certainly, as I say, it's very, very serious, for sure. Very serious indeed. And you could take that to the another level because I've spoken to people who claim, and it's just a claim, um, that they have seen uh, military personnel with these small greys, you know, side by side. Now, I can't prove that. I'm only listening to their stories. Um, but collectively, you take these stories from the UK, Britain, Canada, America, etc., then it would seem to suggest that something very real is going on. They may be in cahoots. Is it back engineering technology we're talking about here? It's bad enough these things are happening, but if they're happening at the behest of uh, a military power, um, then even worse, that's even more concerning. Yeah, well, that would be a crime against its own people, wouldn't it? To be able to, yeah, yeah. Yeah, to, to witness what these things are doing to us. And obviously there's a reason that they need you physically there present you know while they're doing these uh, operations or and it, you're right it could have something to do with our consciousness or our souls whatever it is but it's, it's quite strange uh, it seems like there's a, a are you aware of yeah are you aware of uh, one of scotland's biggest U, uh, ufo abduction cases the a70 case do you know about I'm not this familiar one? with that sir no shall i tell you absolutely <laughs> yeah please it's a safe place okay. it's a safe place <laughs> <laughs> Okay, again, it uh, concerns two men from Edinburgh, the capital city of, of Scotland. And they had no interest in UFOs, as uh, most people do. They, are, they were aware of it on television and newspapers, but it wasn't a big concern for them. Now, all that changed. All that changed on an August evening back in 1992. The two men were driving in their car from Edinburgh towards a small village called Tarbrax in West Lothian. 
And as they left the built-up city of Edinburgh with the big buildings, etc., this A70 road went further out, miles out, farmland. Farmland, just farm to the left, to the, to, to the right, lonely road, just fields and fields for, for miles, you know, farmers' fields. So they're dra driving down this road, it was about half past ten at night, and as they were approaching a blind bend, your classic, classic flying saucer was about 50, 60 feet above the, the, the ground, above the road. It was like three tiers, a black, shiny, three-tiered disc-shaped object. And I went, ho, ho, what's this? They knew, they knew that this was not a conventional helicopter or aircraft of any description. And so if you can imagine, this is the UFO Mahant here. This is the car. And as the car was directly underneath this hovering object, it emitted a heavy, silver, shimmering curtain of mist and it hit the car. And as soon as that effect hit the car, both men were enveloped in total and inky blackness. They couldn't see their hands in front of their face. They couldn't see the dashboard of the car. They, they couldn't see each other. Gary, one of the witnesses, says, are, are, are we dead? Is this death? We don't know how long, but suddenly they regained their sight. The car's on the other side of the road, and they had to struggle violently to pull it back onto that side of the road. They reached their destination, knocked on the occupant's door, and the lady says, what time do you call this? What? You're an hour and a half late. The journey should only have taken 30 minutes, and they were an hour and a half past that 30-minute deadline. Now, they went into the house and said to the family, we'll never believe what we've just seen. Now, that night and subsequent nights thereafter, they had these strange dreams of these small grey creatures, which we, as we know, called the greys, the large uh, pear-shaped head, the black inky almond-shaped eyes. Then they found scars on their body, scars that previously were not there. Where did they come from? Now, as I said, they didn't know much about UFOs, and Gary, one of the witnesses, said, well, who do you turn to? Who, who, who do you go to with these things? Do you go to the police? Do you go to your doctor? Do you, who do you go to? Cutting a long story short, he went to his local library, and he went to the UFOs and paranormal section, and he, he picked out a book by a, a famous British authoress, Jenny Randalls, and my address was at the, in the end of the book, and he went, maybe I should call this chap Malcolm Robinson. Long story short, if he called me, I listened to him on the phone, and I says, would you and Colin, that was the other person in the car, would you and Colin like to come to my house and talk about it? Yeah, 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 sure. Then I said to them, would you be happy to go under hypnotic regression just to see if perhaps something else may have happened that night? Both men says, Malcolm, Malcolm, we'll try anything. We need to know what happened. Malcolm, even our wives don't believe what, what went on, you know. We're having trouble. We had workmates they are just laughing at us. Yeah. So what I'm about to tell you right now is what happened under hypnosis. The conscious recall was only ever seen a physical craft, the car going under it, the big light, bang, blackness. That's a conscious recall. Under hypnosis, they said some of it, tallies with European abductions, some of it doesn't. They claimed they were stopped on the road. 
Several small grey creatures, three and a half to four feet tall, approached the car, took the, the men out of the car and placed, I know this sounds bizarre, placed one of the men on a floating stretcher. Nobody was holding it, free floating stretcher. They were taken on board this object. They were stripped naked and subjected to some form of medical or clinical procedure. Gary found himself in a flat raised table and he says, Malcolm, I couldn't move. I could not move a muscle. I could only move my eyes. And then suddenly I saw this can-shaped device that was about three feet tall come off the floor of the machine, come up to about my head height, and a lever went up like that with two red like LED lights, and it started to spin around my head, making a noise. This is I don't know what it did. I haven't a clue. Then he also saw above him this black kind of lens-shaped object, just free-floating and oscillating. Again, he couldn't move. He didn't know what was going on. And then he also remembers these two small grey beings at the foot of this flat bed thing. And he says they, they had this pendulum, like a, a pendulum, and they were moving up and down his body. And then he says, well, he didn't want to tell me what happened next. I says, you've got to tell me. You've got to tell me no matter how, in, you know, infinitesimal it is. Tell me what you saw. Well, I looked down. I could only move my eyes, Malcolm. This is what he's saying. I could only look, and I looked down on the floor, and I saw a naked female, naked female, about 16, 17, 17 years of age. She had her knees up under her chin. She had her arms around her knees, and she gently turned her head and looked in my direction, and tears were running down her face. He says, Malcolm, I'll never, ever forget that and as long as I live. Another thing he saw on board this craft was he saw, he says, it was like a pool of a, a man's shaving gel just starting to bubble up on the floor of this, this, this room, circular room, no instrumentation or anything, just this flat table. And coming out of this was a small grey being. And I says, Gary, in the drawings, it looks like ribs. I'm not aware of any of these creatures having ribs. And he said a very interesting thing. He says, well, Maybe it was heavy folds of skin, which was interesting. Another thing that was not common with European abduction reports was underneath the eyes, the black eyes of these creatures was green, red, and black lines under their eyes. Now, thats I know it sounds bizarre. Many cases are. And it was it absolutely traumatized them. Now, it's, it's a long story, so I'll be brief. So... As I said to you, his wife did not believe him until one night, one night I took a phone call in my house and it was Gary's wife. Is that you, Malcolm? Yes. How can I help you? And she says she was lying in bed. Gary was next to her. He was sleeping. She was says, Malcolm, I wasn't sleeping. I had read a book, closed the book, put it on the bedside table, switched the bedside light off, and within 20 seconds... Cold, clammy hands grabbed small hands, like childlike hands, grabbed her ankles and pulled her, pulled her, sorry, pulled her forcibly down the bed. So where her head was on the pillow, it's now down there. And she, and she saw these three creatures at the foot of the bed wobbling into the wall and disappearing. And she says, Malcolm, I'm so sorry. I firmly believe my husband now. Yeah. And this is just one of many cases coming out of Scotland, similar to some degree to Canada and also uh, America. What's concerning too is that these crafts are designed 
to have experiment with us in it. Like people go in and there's like an operation room or a table of some sort, but every one of these crafts seem to have a room that is designed for medical procedures on humans. Like the table is human sized. There's humans always involved. And like you mentioned that, that 16, 17 year old girl that's crying. Uh, even when you look back at the Berkshire incidents, when it's going from city to city, abducting people, I'm not surprised that that still is happening today, that it's, you know, whatever their agenda is, they're going from, especially in Scotland and in England, everything's so close together. So it is possible that uh, they do that in that section as well. Now, one of the questions that I have for you um, is that usually in the UK, the tall whites are, or UK or Europe, the tall whites are predominant over there. While over here in North America, it's usually uh, the greys that we have. So have you had any experience or anything like that with the, the tall whites or is it Nordic blondes, I think you call them, right? Nordic blondes, Nordic blondes. Nordic yeah. blondes. They are in the kind of historic lore of British ufology. We have a few cases of these Nordic blondes, these beautiful kind of Norwegian type people with a long blonde hair, kind of George Adamski-esque kind of people um, who George saw, sorry. But that's that's in the past. We don't seem to be dealing okay. with any of these Nordic-like creatures or whatever they may be now. Mostly it's the small grey beings that we're seeing. People often ask me, well, Malcolm, don't forget, we also have these reptilian-like creatures and stuff, and the insectoids, they call them. We may well have that. But here in Scotland and in England, I personally haven't dealt with any of those cases, so I cannot comment on them. I'm not saying they don't happen. They may well do. But uh, certainly I can only speak about cases that I've personally dealt with. Um, but again, it's, there's no denying it. They are in this historic uh, UFO lore, lore. Yeah, the Nordics, it's insectoids, reptilians, etc. Yeah, we don't hear of them as often. I've had a few people, or we've had a few people on the podcast that have talked about the reptilians. Uh, usually being in cahoots with the uh, greys. It seems like the greys are almost like the worker bees for these things. These things are a little bit higher up, up the, the chain. But again, it's nothing that we can prove or it's just uh, stories from the abductees that really we're, we're basing ourselves off. Yeah, there was a, uh, I think in historic legend, I'm not sure if it was Ireland or Scotland, but there was a group known as the Tuatha Di Danann. And uh, they had, uh, you know, some people thought that they may not have been from this earth either or they had uh, information or technology that you know superseded everybody else at that time so uh, there's been recordings of this going back hundreds if not thousands of years too you know whether they're transient whether these are just one of many civilizations and you know uh, unless there was something interesting enough to keep you coming back over and over again it sometimes it might be a one and done you never know right maybe they're on to something bigger and better than us yeah, and I, I always said that, um, you know, people say, well, how are they getting here? You know, are they traveling faster than light? People say you can't, you know, move faster than light. Yeah, that's possibly our technology. If we're dealing with something well in advance of our own technology, we can't comprehend that, you know. It's like uh, Christopher Columbus going into the Nautilus, the big, you know, the big submarine, etc. And they're not denying that we're dealing with something very superior. Um, they may well have um, bases under the oceans, perhaps. We know that there are many sightings coming from near the island of Puerto Rico. Um, they, uh, you know, here in Wales, Wales and Great Britain, there's some sightings coming into the, coming into the water and exiting the waters around the British Isles as well. 
So who knows? You know, we know more about the surface of the moon than we do what's under our planet's oceans as well. Uh, it could be dimensional. Um, at my point of life right now, I, I tend to to be in the camp of Jacques Vallée. I do think it's a dimensional thing. Remember what I said a moment ago about the Scottish case with this UFO, solid one minute, dematerialised and came solid the next minute. We're dealing with something dimensional. I mean, not, it could, is it extraterrestrial as well? It could be any number of things. But for me, it's definitely dimensional. They're coming in. It could be a wormhole. It could be a number of things. But yeah, it's, it's all speculation, isn't it? Does anybody really have the answer? <laughs> and it could be, like you mentioned, it could be the multiple things. So you can have an extraterrestrial visitation. You can have a interdimensional visitations. Like all the crafts, even the craft that you mentioned that had those... Um, those uh, was the balls with this the spikes on it that yep. come rolling out uh -huh. you don't hear that often it, it almost sounds like there's different species coming in and visiting and taking looks at stuff most of the time they leave people intact uh, and like i mentioned that with the abduction they always return people it's not they just float you out the air docks in space and say okay well thank you for your time they uh even when i was talking with uh terry Lovegood or love i forgot love lovelace or yeah, some along those mm -hmm. lines he was mentioning that as he was screaming on the table, uh, the leader, whatever, the medical examiner, um, alien, just looked at him. He says, oh, be quiet. You know we always put you back. And it's weird just to hear that, like uh, how we're supposed to subconsciously know that we'll be okay after these experiences. Like, it's 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 crazy. Um, yeah, I mean, I remember in the A70 case, Gary, who was lying naked in this flat table, he, he couldn't even speak, so he was shouting out and he said, Why? Why do you want me? Why are you doing this? One word he got, one word, and that was sanctuary. sanctuary. Why would the aliens want sanctuary? Why would they want sanctuary? And he says, Malcolm, I swear to God that I heard it clear as a bell and a kind of metallic kind of sound in my head, sanctuary, they want that. So I, I don't know. I mean, we can only, when I come on podcasts, it's just great for me to provide an opportunity to inform an audience who probably doesn't know our cases about what's happening here in the UK and Scotland as a whole, because it's important. It's a big ufological jigsaw. That's what ufology is. Everybody, somebody in maybe Ottawa may have a part there. It might fit with something in Dumfries and Galloway in Scotland, and that nests fine, and it helps build this ufological jigsaw. Um, but we're not any nearer, sadly, we're not any nearer to finding out what is the the residentity, what is going on here. Did they see this? Is planet Earth but a zoo? And so what we're seeing is they're not taking things from us, but they're putting things in us. They are the gods, so to speak, that Eric Van Daniken spoke about. Um, is it, you know, is planet Earth a zoo? Did, did we come from apes? Did we come from the primordial soup uh, with comet strikes containing the nucleus of life? Or were we put here by another race? Again, pure speculation, you know? Yeah, even in the Zimbabwe case, when the children were saying that they were getting yes. messages, they were saying that don't get too technologically uh, involved. Like, that's the message that they were getting from these things, that technology will be probably the end of us. Well, the thing is, with technology with humans, it's always how can we use it to kill somebody, right? Yeah. Like, every technology we have that comes down, leaks down from the military, was originally designed to kill people or how can we use this to, uh, you know, limit our threats that we have out there? 
And really, I understand that because with the nuclear facilities, now I don't know about England or Great Britain, but you guys have had your own sightings at nuclear facilities as well, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And that to me is just a sign that we're dealing with something that we shouldn't have. Louie and I always joke around that it's kind of like toddlers running around with scissors and they're just like slapping the scissors out of our hand saying, no, you're not old enough or wise enough to use these. And that's yeah. kind of the impression that we get. Well, to some degree, I hope that's true. And what I mean by that is, you know, you know, the, the, a lot of UFOs, as you quite rightly said, have been seen over missile silos and switching off the Minuteman missile, etc. And um, so if they're trying to stop us from really going too far, well, I guess that's got to be a good thing, you know. Um, I don't know why they can't stop coming into wars like what's happening just now in the Ukraine, you know, with Russia, but maybe that's not their part of the plan. There is a plan. Of course, there's a plan with these. It's an alien agenda, but certainly it's not stopping coming in to stop wars, etc., or famine for that, for want of a better word, you know. And famine is rife throughout uh, parts of the world, as we know. So clearly there's not something... I mean, this technology, this superior technology, this advanced, these advanced aliens have could clearly eradicate poverty, could clearly eradicate this famine, etc. And maybe they could give us health and far better health, but that's not part of the plan, it would appear. It's not part of their plan. Yeah. It's amazing how similar some of these uh, cases are. Like that A71 you just described, I just kept hearing reminders of the Calvin Parker case. And we had him on our show a couple months ago. It was almost exactly the same. You know, uh, you're in a, a place you feel safe. All of a sudden you see a craft or lights. Next thing you know, you're on the ship. And most of these memories come back through hypnotherapy and regression therapy. Uh, you know, being on a, a flat table, having a little device pop up and kind of, I think Calvin said it looked like a deck of playing cards. It popped out of the ceiling, scanned his head, and then shoop, it took right back off where it came from. And having that uh, ESP uh, communication with these entities as well, and then being brought back, having physical trauma, like he, you know, had blood on his clothing and didn't feel right. And uh, even when we speak with people who've done a lot of research on this whole field, like, for example, George Knapp, we interviewed him about his book, Skinwalkers at the Pentagon. And he explained that it's a whole wide variety of not only phenomenon, like as crazy as it is, Bigfoots, UFOs, cryptids, uh, blue orbs, all this stuff. For some reason, they all seem to exist in the same world, whether it's dimensional or not. Um, but the people that seem to interact with these things, a lot of them reported physical mal effects, um, you know, uh, autoimmune diseases that were so obscure and rare that almost nobody got them. And now they're occurring with frequency. And he even mentioned the hitchhiker effect that when he got too close to the paranormal realm or whatever the hell's going on at Skinwalker Ranch, they would bring that home with them and their family and other people would have spooky things happen. So it's such a deep level now, you know, we were nuts and bolts ufologists looking for metal craft and, you mm -hmm. know, UFO is now UAP because yes. it's not just a flying object. It's phenomenon. It's yes. Anomalous. And it's stranger than our brains can comprehend, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would also, even though I firmly believe that we're dealing with some form of non-human intelligence, I would always say to my audience when I give lectures that, when we're using hypnosis, we have to be very, very careful using hypnosis in uh, a UFO abduction scenario because people can lie or please the hypnotherapist. There may be something called kryptonesia, which they, as a child, they read a story about a UFO or in a comic book 
and it's went right to the back of the mind. And once under hypnosis, it's like the sluice gates of the mind lifts up that barrier and all these recall come over. Now, that's not to say that what Leonard, Leonard Stringfield did and many other um, uh, you know, hypnotherapists and ufologists did a bad thing. Absolutely not. We need this. We need to be very careful. Now, nowadays, there's so many programs on television about UFOs, etc. You know, it used to be maybe two in ten saw a program maybe 20 years ago. Now it's about eight or nine in ten seeing the same program. They may not believe in that, but that, that's in their minds now. So if they have seen something, then they may recall that, what they saw on the telly. Um, and for every five people who have seen a bona fide UFO, there may be three people will say, what? I don't know. I never saw anything. So five people in a part, and I've, I've seen this before, five people have been at a UFO sighting and three, sorry, two have seen the UFO and three didn't. Why is that? Possibly because maybe you have to be on a certain frequency, a certain level. It's like the old radios uh, here in the, the United Kingdom, BBC Radio 1, you tuned it, then you got BBC Radio 2, you're scanning through the wavelengths. So perhaps the more psychically attuned you are, more psychically aware, then you're in that frequency, you will see these, these lights in the sky. Just like the dogs and the cats or animals are well attuned to hear and see different frequencies and, and vibrations, you know, um, maybe maybe just some of us can see this. Um, getting back to the, the Pentagon UFO files, though, you know, maybe these things are flying about and, and they can't be seen all the time because it's different light frequencies and uh, they may be there all the time. We don't see them. That's the thing, too. What did you think about the newest... Uh development in the united states with the congress holding the hearings were you pleased at it were you sort of disappointed because some people are on the fence some people were happy with what came out some people were not uh at least they're not avoiding the subject altogether but i thought it was kind of funny where they're saying we want to be clear with the public and yeah. totally open and transparent but most of the stuff will be classified I mean, back in, two, I think it was 2001, we had the press club disclosures. You had all these military and all that saying, I saw this and I saw that. I went, yes, at last we've got, you know, people, not just the, the wee man in the street, but these recognisable military people with stories to tell. This, this is it. And it was yesterday's news and they went on to other things and we've had other disclosure kind of meetings since then. And then obviously the one you've just spoken about. What do you think about it? Yes, I agree with you in the sense that it's great that they're speaking about it, the military are speaking about it, whether they're pressurising and speaking about it, who knows, but at least they are, and at least they're now providing the American and Canadian public an opportunity to be up front with this. I agree also that there'll be a suppression lid on that. You know, that's all the good documents there, or what we will see below that lid is yeah. the gems, the fantastic gems that you and I will probably never see, you know, and that's a shame. Well, they mentioned too that, uh, you know, whenever anything happens, they'd be the ones that would show up and get the tapes and, and all that information. But somebody was already doing that before them. You know, when you hear oh, yeah. about the Nimitz incident, uh, two uh, civilian looking people came on this helicopter, took the footage, took everything. So yes. my right. question with them was like, okay, are they competing against that organization now? That whatever that under, you know, that black operation uh, that they got going on, are they going to be competing against those people? Because keep in mind, the Air Force hasn't said 
and pardon my English here, shit about anything <laughs> in related to the UAP subject. And I think that's a huge piece of the puzzle that's missing is, is the Air Force, because if anybody's going to know what's going on, it's NASA and the Air Force. But you hear nothing from them. That's because NASA stands for never a straight answer. NASA. Ah, I like it. I like it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it could be compartmentalized. You know, they, maybe the American Air Force only knows so much. And then there's people above them who's got a key for a door. So now you're not giving you that key. That door's locked to you. And it's the same with the Army in certain departments that certain things are locked away from. I mean, I thought when Jimmy Carter was, um, he was going to release files, as was Reagan, and he promised that, and, and it never happened, you know, and um, that other chap with the ginger hair, what's his name? <laughs> I'm bad with names. I'm bad Kennedy. with names. No, no, just recently. Um, oh, recently. Yeah. Not mad. I'm no, bad with names, yeah. <laughs> I couldn't help <laughs> you there. <laughs> Here in the UK, you know, obviously we've been fighting for many years to get uh, under the Freedom of Information Act uh, many pre-classified document files from uh, Whitehall to be released. And they have been released, uh, but dribs and drabs. And a lot of these pages, uh, paragraphs are heavily blacked out. Why? Why? Now, some people have said, well, maybe it's an address, which is fine, a name and address. You don't want people to know that. That's fine. But no, some pages are totally blacked out. Come on. You know, that's not addresses. No way. No, no. And they're like, here, here's the information that you seek. Well, everything's redacted for crying out loud. There's no information to have. And all the information they do provide is stuff that we already are aware of, right? But yeah. we, we're starting to see some momentum in Canada as well. As recently, Louie and I have been trying to reach out to some of these politicians like Larry Maguire here in Canada that's really pushing the agenda for like what's going on with UAPs and our uh, military and our uh, nuclear facilities like we know that we ha are having the same experience as people in the UK and in the states this is a global issue but yeah. it's nice to see Canada sort of step up as well and saying hey we got this problem too it's uh it's not just the United States we got big issues in Canada as yeah. well we see them and all that's the time why, right? that, that's why I love I'm reading this book just now you know and all about Canada's UFO file Shag Harbour etc some yeah. wonderful, wonderful cases coming from uh, Canada. And uh, it's, because it's all about education, you know, um, you've got to immerse yourself in this yeah. ufological umbrella. And there'll be a lot of nonsense out there, but it's like a big sieve. Shake all that away and you've still got these kernels of truth that won't go through that grid because that's the real deal. You and I and Louis would not be involved in the subject if we didn't honestly believe that there's something there to, to look at. And uh, even though there's hoaxes and all the rest of it, there's still enough. There's still enough validity there to yeah. keep us three going, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think the only way we're actually going to get real disclosure and the kind of disclosure uh, that we want, like you said before, they had those National Press Club meetings in 2001, feels like disclosure and the next day they're on to something else i kind of felt the same way with the new york times article the tic tac yeah. video this yeah. is the first time the u.s government acknowledged we don't know what this thing is and here's a video of it why are we not jumping in up and down the streets because it's still hidden it's suppressed you know we were talking a few episodes ago before these house panel meetings and jason says hey what do you think uh, are we going to get the raw goods and i said listen this is the same establishment that's been 
like lying to us essentially for 70 years. Yes. Now you think they're actually going to admit that, yeah, we've been blowing smoke and sorry about that. You would lose all faith in your government if they ever did that. It, the acknowledgement itself is damning and incriminating. So it's not going to come from them. And as you mentioned, even if you do file a freedom of information request, you get these redacted documents and some stuff's been classified for 50 or 60 years. No one says it's ever going to come out. And it's not like there's a certain time expiry that eventually it's all going to come out. No, they're going to keep this stuff hidden. And I think the only thing I find positive coming out of the movement are people that are civilian based scientists, people that are inventing new machinery that yeah. can observe and record different wavelengths, yeah. different frequencies. Yeah. We're going to catch the bloody things ourselves on tape and provide yeah. our own evidence because, you know, whatever the government has, it, they can't release it because then they have to also admit that we've had this for years and haven't done anything positive with it. You know, if they do have UFO technology, it's just been used to try to weaponize. It's never been used to benefit mankind, improve yeah. our health, our consciousness, or anything that we could have used it for. It's been held and kept in secret. So I think the only thing positive are movements like this, people like us dedicated to the, uh, to the field and just won't shut up about it. Uh, because like you said, those kernels of truth, there's enough there that, yeah, you could have the 98% of explainable phenomenon. That's fine. Makes total sense that most of it is explainable, but it's that 2% that keeps us going. So credit yeah. to everybody in the field that's for that. Absolutely. I totally agree with you. You know, I, I, that was a good point you made there, Louis, about somebody, maybe there's an entrepreneur, a wonderful educated guy who made the design and this this piece of equipment that can see into those spectrums, you know, like you said, can build something that can see stuff that we can't see. And that would be fantastic. Now, the skeptics would still probably say, well, you've made that on computer, you've done this on computer. That's fine, because as we know, a lot of UFOs can be made by computer to look, oh, wow, that looks really good. But the same technology, thank goodness, can be applied to any fake UFO video or fake photograph. With photographs, you can see the wee thin supporting string, etc. I mean, we're living, I've said before, we're living in the Steven Spielberg age of DreamWorks Laboratory. Anything can be manipulated onto screen to look fantastical, but the same process can be proved and be applied to say well we've done all our we've done all our tests but we still can't explain this but I, i'm with you on that one yeah maybe there's some guy out there who might build a machine that can see different spectrums that we can't see and that would be great well like, we chatted with dave mason last week from that film a tear in the sky and he was exactly that entrepreneur inventor genius and he figured out a way to take, uh, you know, a spectrograph. So you look at a light in the sky, it converts that into a waveform of sound. So there's a lot more identifying properties in a waveform. Yeah. So, you know, a 747 will always have that characteristic yeah. sound, essentially, because he's taking light, turning it into sound. So it's a way of filtering the 98% of explainable phenomenon. And, you know, if you, if you were to capture something, it yeah. would measure the radiation, the depth of field, all that stuff. It would be a good way and a, a scientific way with documented evidence rather than just I saw a light in the sky. No, I saw a light. It's this type of waveform. This was the kilohertz or gigahertz that it's in. It's to provide those skeptic minded people the raw science that they're looking for. And so those people actually exist right now 
and are making those strides in technology. So I think that's super, super amazing that, uh, you know, I know there's no money in this stuff for most industries to invest, but if you have a, a well-off genius, who's really into this, that might be all it takes to really spur this thing on. Yeah. Encourage other scientists. Yeah. Again, that would be great if we can get all these people who can build this stuff and then if we've got some valuable information, have a big conference somewhere, invite all the top people from the Air Force and say, well, this is this is maybe five, ten years in the making, guys. We've got the top guys with all these devices. Here's what we've got. We're presenting you the best UFO footage, etc. You've got to take this more seriously. That would be something perhaps for the future when we get there with these type of machines. But yeah, fantastic. And repeatable scientific experiments, right? Like that's a nice thing about the Terror in the Sky movie was that it was a repeatable over the course of a few days. They could repeat the experiments and they got good footage yeah. out of it. And that's that's the main thing is finding out where are these things at. If they're in the middle of the ocean, find the spot. And then, you know, just, just keep keep there for a couple of weeks and, uh, you know, keep figuring out. Now, before we close, uh, Louis, do you have any final questions for our guests? Yeah, so we're mentioning different people in the field and, you know, prominent ufologists, uh, you know, Canadian, American, all the rest. I wanted to ask you just in your own, uh, the UK world of ufologists, um, there are there is somebody very popular uh, in North America, but I find that he gets a bit of bad press in the UK. And I'm just personally curious. So we're chatting about Nick Pope. Now, I know he's appeared on a million and one shows. I don't have a, a, a an opinion, good or bad. I've never met Nick. I've never had a chance to interview him. I see it kind of from both ends, uh, but here's sort of my opinion. Correct me if I'm wrong. I want to get some more information on that. So Nick Pope, according to his own declaration, worked for the UK Ministry of Defence. He worked in a certain section of the UK Ministry of Defence where he had some access to UFO, clandestine programs, that type of thing. Now, I see he gets a lot of bad press, people saying, well, he's not a real ufologist. He's bolstered his own resume, so to speak. And then I see the other side of it where people say, well, he never actually said he ran the uh, department. He ran the program. He was a desk clerk and was later promoted to a slightly higher position. But he's never actually claimed that he knows more than he has or he was, you know, one of two people that got some special info. So maybe you can provide some clarification is like, what do you think about Nick Pope? And, uh, you know, what should we know? Is he the real deal or is he, uh, is he more controversial than we think? Well, my views on Nick Pope, because I know him very personally before he went over to America. I've had many a dinner with Nick Pope and Stanton Friedman and various conferences, etc. Nice. I believe he's the real deal. I think uh, a lot of people in, in the UK have a lot of problems with Nick Pope whether that's jealousy, whether it's something else. Yes, he did. Uh, Nick Pope had a small part in Whitehall. You know, we know that he got promoted. Nick told me when he went into that desk, he says, Malcolm, I thought it was a lot of rubbish. I was there for low-flying aircraft. It was just, you know, all these complaints. And then people would give me all these UFO reports. And I, I wanted to prove what a load of nonsense it was. And then even I, he says, Malcolm, even I was knocking on doors and no, you can't come in this door. Doesn't matter. You go about your own business. He says, I was I was stonewalled. I was stonewalled. So me personally, I honestly uh, believe Nick, yes, he has enhanced his reputation by going on TV shows. He's never off TV shows, bless him. Yeah. But uh, that's, that's good because it lets people know that he knows his subject and he's getting all these wonderful stories out about UFOs. He's making people who would never sit up about UFOs. What? What was that? Listen. Wow. He's bringing people into this subject. So 
I, I have no problem with Nick Pope. Other people in the UK have. I haven't. He's a wonderful guy. And I'll probably get pelters for saying that, you know, but uh, I, I like the guy. I think he's great. I was, we were having this conversation last night, Jason and I, and I said, listen, it's been bugging me for a couple of weeks because I saw a post on Facebook and it was a UK UFO group. And it was a picture of somebody receiving an award and Nick Pope was beside him. And the caption said, there's a very well-respected, very oh. intelligent ufologist. And there's also Nick Pope. And I thought, you know what? I've, I've seen enough of him speak and heard him. And I don't think he's ever made a wrong step. I've never once heard him say I was the leader of the program or I got you know access to this and nobody else did. He's not bolstering saying I'm the you know the messiah of ufology or I'm the the biggest expert. He's humble. He's extremely educated yes, whether yes. you're talking about ancient stories or uh you know military um uh, stories or uh, quantum physics it doesn't seem to matter what the topic he's extremely intelligent and offers just not even his opinion he just says you know researchers are talking about this some people are saying this there have been reports of this it's very non-biased like i i really like the guy i think he's the real deal and i said to jason last night i said you know what I'm going to take the opportunity today just to ask, because from what it's worth, and again, I don't know Nick. I don't have a bias one way or the other. I think he's the real deal. And if if we see somebody getting some bad press, I wouldn't mind calling it out just to see what's what, you know? Am I brainwashed or is he not as bad as some people are making yeah, him out I mean, to be? So thank I, you. I know, for I know the people who in the UK who don't like him, but I'm not going to say who they are on this show. Um, sure. But um, that... that uh, that picture you referred to there, Louis, was actually placed on my Facebook page, you know, um, which I was none too happy about. But, you know, that's another story. Bottom line is, Nick Pope's fine. He's a great guy and he's an intelligent guy. He's getting the story out on the television. Why not? You know, OK, he's made a name for himself. He's probably getting lots of dollars for, for doing all the shows. So what? You know, as long as he's, he's, he's truthful, as long as he's truthful and getting those, those facts out of ufology across the world, no problems, no problems. You know. you know, Lou Elizondo had that show on History Channel, which is the only reason we know his name in the first place. He's not doing that for free either. So I don't begrudge anybody making a living. Again, as you said, as long as it's truthful, yeah. they're not fabricating things to make it either more interesting or to prolong their tenure. Like, you better keep me going on these things because I'm always finding new stuff. As long as you're not doing that, yeah. I don't have a problem with anybody making money, writing books. You're, you know, you're going to make a living. So if you can make a living and further this investigative uh, you know, body of work and provide quality stuff to it, you're enhancing the value of the subject, not detracting from it. As long as so you I don't, don't form a cult and make people wear white <laughs> sneakers and drink the Kool-Aid, I think you're good, right? <laughs> yeah. Malcolm, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Um, are you working on a new book or anything like that uh, as of late? Um, I'm working on another book. Yes, it's to do to do with uh, a Scottish uh, case which involves over three, four, five dozen small greys seen in a field terrorising a family. It's a true story, and uh, that's the one I'm working on just now. Um, but Jason, it's been a pleasure speaking to your good self and Louis there. Uh, you've done a marvelous, marvelous job, sir. You really are. And oh, thank uh, you, thank you. It's just great to come we really on. Really appreciate and that. A few, a few stories. It's great, you know. Yeah, well, when you, the book is finished, uh, shoot me an email and uh, we'll definitely have you back on. It's It's been a, a pleasure and an honor for us as well, sir. Thank you very much.
Jason. Before we close off tonight, we just want to thank all of our uh, uh, listeners. We've been getting a lot of a lot of strong love mail. We don't get any hate mail. I love that. Yeah. There's trolls everywhere, and we don't get any trolls. So I think we have one of the most loyal listener bases out there. We're doing our best to bring you quality guests. Uh, there's a few episodes where we recorded ourselves because we didn't have anybody of a certain caliber that we wanted to bring to our people. Uh, so we have a shout out. We've been doing this a little bit lately. We're going to give a shout out to one of our biggest fans, Candice Dawn Breeze. She's been a fan of the show since day one. Absolutely. Uh, helped yeah. us promote. She posts our show on her own page and she's a big, uh, uh, a big fan. So we do want to say thank you, Candice. Uh, we really appreciate it. We hear you. We feel the love and right back at you. <laughs> Thank you.